everybody, and welcome to the Digital Marketeer. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Stephanie Beach, and today I'm speaking with Peter Phelan, founder and CEO of Value Culture. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm good, Stephanie, and it's actually values culture. Values <laughs> culture. I apologize. I forgot the S. Um, can you let us know a little bit more about your company and what you do? Absolutely. Uh, so, of course, we know each other of old um, uh, from the, both working at Media Math. So the work I'm doing today isn't so very different uh, in a sense. Back then, I was chief people officer, so the modern name for HR. And now I do, I guess, my favorite part of that big uh, chief people officer portfolio um, so, you know, chief people officers often look after the space, the, the, the um, internal communications, of course, the hiring, employer relations, benefits. It's like 30 different things. Mm. And um, that was a lot. So for my own business, I decided to do just my favorite bits. And so far, so good. Seven years in, um, focusing on executive search for HR professionals, as well as culture definition projects, and some employer branding work. Those are my top three. And uh, that's what I've been focusing on. And it's been a lot of fun. That's great. That is really great. And what has led you to this? Knowing that you've been, you know, chief people person, I love that you said I took the bits that I like because, you know, there's always things to, to our role that we we don't enjoy. But, you know, where did you find that there was like a real need for this? I mean, I guess with the with the way that the world is moving, and having all of these learning and development focus and all of this culture focus, you know, has that kind of where this stemmed from? And, and are you finding that there's more of a need for these types of people moving forward? Yeah, I think the world of work is definitely very dynamic. Uh, so often organizations will find themselves needing different kinds of people or talent uh, folks or L&D, learning development, like you said, folks that they didn't have before uh, because they're trying to keep up with remote work, with, you know, post-pandemic, with uh, social justice, with uh, AI. There's just lots of different moving parts, which are, of course, impacting more than just one um, function in a business. But HR has been particularly kind of at the center of it all in, in recent years. When I got into it, there weren't so many moving parts because I made this move in 2016, well before, say, COVID and remote work being as big of a thing as it is today or distributed workforces. And at that time, you know, I guess I was confident enough after 20 years uh, working, you know, for somebody else uh, for a W-2 to say, okay, I've got some good credentials under my belt. Media Math, for example, had won a lot of Best Place to Work awards, you might recall, last mm -hmm. over several years in a row. So I thought, okay, the, the, the world is talking about culture a lot. I've got a little bit of savings set aside. Um, I can kind of have the credibility to, to, to make this move. And I give a lot of credit to people like yourself who make the leap from W2 to, uh, you know, entrepreneur in less than 20 years. Uh, <laughs> Thank a you. Little, a little bit, uh, you know, more cautious. Uh, that, you know, but I felt that the market was ready. There was enough people talking about culture. The uh, A lot of the trends that we're seeing come now had already begun. Uh, so I took a took a chance, and uh, you know, so far so good. I I don't know if I would necessarily be courageous enough to do it now with the current economy. Mm. Uh, there's so many you know uh, cutbacks and all the rest. Um, 
hey, I, I like to think I would be courageous enough to do it. But yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a funnier time. And so how do you go about, you know, finding the right people for for the roles that you have? And, and how do you go about also, I guess, brokering those roles or finding the roles as well? I think, you know, HR, as we know it, has branched off, like you said, into so many different things, you know, and even with my business and, and what we do, a lot of our agency business, we do like flexible talent and staff augmentation. And now I'm seeing that at some of these holding companies, there's flexible talent, like heads of flexible talent. Mm. There's like departments being built out. And I know one of the things that you were probably heavily responsible for at Media Math was our learning and development and, and we really kind of, you know, it was some of the greatest training and, and some of the, the greatest skill sets that I've learned there. Um, but we, we had consistent training and consistent learning on different topics, not just specific to our tools, but just industry-wide. Are you finding that there's more of that that's needed now as well? For sure. Um, yeah, Media Math uh, did a great job of that. And I can't take too much credit. I think <laughs> uh, our, our mutual friend, Elise James de Cruz, was just phenomenal. Like, she it, was, she, yeah. She used to be phenomenal in uh, her career. But, uh, you know, I like to think I offered an assist here and there, but uh, was, not the, was not the star, Elise was. But yeah, to bring it forward to 2023, I think one trend I've noticed, even in kind of leaner times, because um, you're talking about, you know, how do I find the, the jobs to broker? One of my practices is to just act like a job hunter. So I'll go on to Indeed.com, you know, the jobs aggregator. I'll go on to LinkedIn jobs and see who's hiring. And it's been interesting insofar as uh, learning and development jobs are fairly resilient. Um, they've, uh, I've seen quite a lot of activity there, even in May, 2023. You know, I, I feel bad about, uh, or I feel bad for my talent acquisition friends because they're not seeing the number of postings um, that, uh, you know, L&D is. Mm -hmm. And other uh, total rewards, sort of the, the compensation piece, is, there's a fair few jobs in total rewards these days. In the HR realm, I've noticed that those two areas, L&D and total rewards, have seen an uptick. Hmm. Uh, so yes, that that would be some uh, kind of uh, canary in the coal mine indicator on your thesis of leaning into learning, because I think with leaner teams and less hiring, organizations are kind of, quote unquote, loving the ones they're with, <laughs> or maybe right. one, a negative way to say it might be overworking or setting too many expectations of the ones they're with. But there is some palpable investment in learning. Um, which has taken an uptick, um, um, and that it is tangible. Um, so that's that's definitely been a trend. Interesting. And with the current financial situation, you know, in our industry especially, there's been so many layoffs, so many people out of work, so many people trying to start their own companies and work for themselves, and people honestly just not wanting to actually do work either. So you know, how are you? Or what are you finding is, is happening in the job market currently? And, you know, are there any trends or cycles that you think the job market kind of goes through that we can learn from? Yeah. Uh, so I'll kind of address that as well as your, your last question on, you know, where you uh, 
find the talent um, and, and where you find the jobs. I mentioned that where you find the jobs a little bit, but I wasn't always an executive search guy. Um, I was happy enough and thoroughly enjoyed, you know, building high-performing people teams at BBMath and, and elsewhere when I was in-house. And when I started this culture doctor practice, uh, also known as values culture, in 2016, I wasn't doing the search piece. I was just doing the culture projects, employer branding. And then my clients uh, began to be the ones to ask me for, oh, Peter, you know, we need a long-term solution now. Help, thank you for helping us define our values in a data-driven way or whatever. We need somebody full-time to help us scale our culture. And do you know anybody? So I was, you know, uh, like to network freely. So the first couple of times I said, oh yeah, talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. And then when I saw their names being, uh, you know, popping up on LinkedIn eight weeks later with new jobs, I was like, okay, I should really monetize this. So on the third one, I, I quickly went to the internet. Uh, uh, maybe this is something you do as well, when you get <laughs> an instant ask to what you normally do, Stephanie, and you're like, okay, I've never done that before, but it's close enough to what I do. Uh, let me quickly get a template contract from the internet and see how it goes. Uh, so I did. And now thankfully, you know, 90 uh, or so, placements later it's you know probably the the biggest um revenue source for for values culture um as to you know the trends i think i know a lot of hr people uh, at this point uh, from like going to every networking event in their new york city and beyond uh with the word culture or startup or uh, human capital in it um so i think that there are um you know, some of the things you mentioned, folks are feeling a bit burnt out um, from the, the rigors of the last three years, especially that they were so kind of um, maybe, you know, HR was so so much at the center of it all. It was just a lot of things to juggle. So you mentioned the fractionals. A lot of my favorite uh, people, people, when I say, hey, you know, such and such startup has got their Series B funding. You want to be their head of people or whatever, or you want to have the conversation. And um, if they've already done, you know, three or four head of people runs, um, they may not have another one in them. And it's not because they're, you know, in the later stages of their career, they're like in their 40s, they're, you know, younger than me. And they're like, no, I, I don't play that game anymore. It's just too much burnout. And I would, you know, much rather um, be my own boss and do fractional work. So that's been a, a massive trend. Other trends, I guess the... Yeah, the, the, because a lot of the sort of elder states people are are, are moving out of the business, um, some of my clients are taking a chance on great up-and-comers, you know, who maybe are 10 or 12 years into their career and still very gung-ho and not burnt out. And so it's been great to place um, a lot of those folks. Um, and a nice part about being in the people and culture space is that um, you get a chance to place a lot of diverse talent. Um, you know, a lot of my clients are kind of painfully aware that they haven't done as good enough job with diversity, equity, and inclusion to date than they would have liked to. Um, so um, it's wonderful when they kind of specifically ask me to, you know, uh, make that part of of my remit as I as I work with them. So yeah, I guess I'm a little bit all over the place trying to ask answer two questions at once, but I would. Uh, yeah, no, that was my fault. I that was my design choice, and now I regret getting it. But um, I'd say, yeah, the as regards getting to know progressive people in your field, which in my case, you know, is with a view to placing them in great jobs. Uh, but I think it extends to any discipline, be it marketing, finance, you know, AI, you name it. I would say to get to to network well 
just go to events uh, where you'll be able to just find opportunities and potentially just make connections and build up some karma in the space um, and certainly to learn. Um, so, but yeah, most of my great progressive people pros I met at networking events, uh, meetups, et cetera, conferences, uh, because those who care most about their careers and kind of doing bleeding edge work will show up to those things. Great. And, you know, going from a people person and building out teams to moving to executive search and recruiting is a pretty interesting leap. You know, um, yes, people move up. Yes, people advance their careers. But developing a network of strictly people executives and learning and development or HR, we'll use HR as the umbrella um, of executive you know, how do you kind of develop that network and how do you find these people to be able to place them in hopefully their dream job? Yeah, yeah. I guess there's the the conference and meetup thing. Um, I'll come back to that again with a slightly different twist. Um, there's the attendee population who are just curious and looking to network and, you know, hungry for knowledge. And then there's the panelists, the people actually on mm. stage, um, who I also made a point, make a point of meeting. And uh, I often am on those stages myself. You know, I don't think I'm this, this amazing uh, thought leader or whatever, but I'm fairly comfortable in front of a crowd. I also, uh, in my spare time, I've been known to do stand-up comedy, so I'm not afraid of uh, public oh, speaking. Oh wow! Is a thank you. Uh, is a, a an asset uh, and. You know, often I won't even be the thought leader, I'll be the moderator. And so just somebody who keeps the conversation moving and, you know, um, make sure we get all the, the great ideas that are in the true experts' heads um, out of their mouths for the audience. So that's been great. Uh, just kind of being part of those events, volunteering whenever I get a chance and setting up the events. So I would say, you know, for other potential entrepreneurs who want to build a network, um, like I built this amazing network of people executives, I would say, you know, maybe set up an event series and you can start small, maybe you do virtual, so you don't have to worry about real estate and refreshments. Uh, if you can do in person, I think it's great. People really crave that stuff now, especially after having gone without it for a couple of years. Mm. It feels feel special to meet human beings. Um, but yeah, you could start virtually, you know, flattery uh, will get you everywhere. Uh, so you can just reach out to people who you would like to meet and say, hey, we're doing a panel on the impact of AI on, you know, display advertising or whatever the, the case may be. And, you know, you might be pleasantly surprised that people um, will, will respond. And then all of a sudden you get to know these executives in a non-threatening, flattering way that you just want them to share their ideas and the relationship has begun. That's that's a very interesting take on it, a really innovative way of meeting people and the right people in a non-invasive way as well, you know, um, as well. And like you said, um, flattery is everything. So <laughs> asking them to come and speak or be a part of or be a thought leader is always a, a great way to kind of break the ice for sure. So with the layoffs that are happening and the tight job market, people afraid to spend, people afraid to hire. There is an influx of talent in the market at all levels, unfortunately. You know, it, it really seems to taking the gamut from, you know, higher ups and executive teams all the way down to the day-to-day -day people and newer people. 
you know, what are some tips that you have or that maybe you share with some of your candidates on how to navigate being in such a saturated market? It's tough out there. Um, you know, it's it's not like there are no jobs. I think, you know, unemployment is still incredibly low, 3.4%. Um, but you don't have the abundance of choices maybe that you had, you know, a year and a half ago when the market was at its, the labor market was at, at its peak. You know, so I think there is there is hope. I would say my counsel to people would be flexible. Um, so just as, you know, uh, the market told me, hey, Peter, stop giving away executive uh, search leads for free, you know, make it a part of your business. I would say, you know, um, think about your own career a little bit more broadly. So as you go on to Indeed or, you know, uh, LinkedIn or your preferred job portal, you know, don't worry about stepping slightly adjacent right left up down to your you know ideal title because there may be something you know that's just right for you and going to be an amazing learning experience an amazing way to ride out this you know economic slump um and it's really just 10% different from what you you know had in mind so play with different job titles play with different levels you know um, I recently placed a manager, you know, level person. They were currently a manager in a in a mid-sized organization, and then there was suddenly a senior director in this slightly smaller organization. Wow. And they didn't even, you know, negotiate for a better title or whatever. It's just the titling structure was different. Right. So um, think about the fact that titling structures can be different. And maybe you would be qualified for something that you're like, sounds scary and senior uh, based on the title. But hey, maybe that company just does, uses titles differently. Mm. Say, yeah, I think just broaden your um your focus um you know in every direction uh title scope you don't need to totally reinvent yourself but just like if you're picturing a kind of a um you know a visual just think about a bigger circle uh you know a bigger a bigger aperture as you approach any of these job portals um and then once you've found something you're interested in and this has always been true even you know in every job market but i would say leverage your connections so I'm a bit of a LinkedIn fiend, Stephanie. That's uh, one of my uh, one of my addictions. I've got like thirty thousand connections, and a few more followers than that. And um, leverage your connections. So if you see that there's you know two jobs and you've only got time to apply for one of them, um, well, I, I say find the time to apply for both. But if you want to prioritize which one you're going to apply for, um, focus on the one where you know somebody, even if they're in a different department, you know. And they may know the right person who can get a little one-line email from your friend to that uh, recruiter or that hiring manager saying, hey, you know, have a quick look at this applicant. Um, Peter's good or Stephanie's good. Mm -hmm. That can make the world of difference because one of the challenges now, for, even for the HR professionals who haven't lost their jobs or the talent acquisition professionals who haven't lost their jobs is that you're inundated with yeah. applicants. Um, so if you post a job on LinkedIn, you will have 200 applications within a few hours. Uh, so that can be kind of overwhelming. You may not have a chance to ever look at all of those applicants. So if your friend uh, who works in different departments says, hey, recruiter, you know, Peter uh, uh, is, a, is, a, is a talented guy. You should check him out for X job or Stephanie's talented lady, um, you know, have a look. Then all of a sudden you're at the top of the stack. Whereas- right. You, know, you were previous to that in a very scary kind of black hole of of applicants. So, yeah, the the two 
you know, a bit of advice I would say would be, um, you know, think more broadly about your 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 ideal title and ideal next step, because you know uh, there may be something that's slightly different that could even be more awesome, and then leverage your network. Great. And aside from you know reaching out to somebody that you might know at the company, how do you advise your candidates, or what advice do you have to try to get noticed and and try to stand out against everybody else? So, well, I, with with my candidates, I'm representing them, and I already have a contract, you know, with the CEO or whatever. So it's easy enough for me to help for them to get noticed. But you know, friends, who I'm just giving, you know, uh, sort of non-paid advice to. Um, well, the company always pays; the candidates never do. But um, I would say definitely have a polished um presence so you know make the most of your 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 real estate on linkedin show your accomplishments uh, do the same on your resume and to this day even in the competitive job market of 2023 um i see some really bad resumes out there stephanie where you know they um maybe are cramming a 20 year career into one page uh, whereas two pages would have been fine and, and I think that not to cut you off, but I do think that there is like a notion that your resume shouldn't be lo- longer than a page there. It was interesting, too, because I had applied for a job a few years ago and I did know somebody and leveraged them and was like, you know, do you mind pushing this along? And she was like, can you shorten it and send it back? And I was like, I understand that you're in the beginning of your career, but once you get to a certain part, like it's really hard to fit all of that in one page. So if if they want to see all of your experience and, you know, functions and, and achievements, sometimes yeah. it, it has to be longer than a page. Oh, yeah, that should be, you know, if you're right out of school or whatever, and you try to, you know, fill a page almost because you've got maybe some good grades or a couple of summer summer jobs, hopefully an internship or two then, you know, sure, page makes perfect sense. But once you've actually had some real accomplishments and made real impact in organizations, um, you need to have a little bit of space to, to right. sell and to tell the story. So yes, I think you were you were right to push back on your friend a little bit there. But yeah, the other, so that there's the, there's the length and then there's also the content. Um, to this day, I also see, and it can be a two-page resume, as though they haven't fallen into that trap, but they have failed to show impact. Right. So a lot of bullet points where they're like, I was responsible for this thing. I managed this thing. I coordinated this thing. I built this thing. And of course, built is better than managed uh, because anyone can just be kind of uh, responsible for something. It might be getting worse all the while, but yeah, right. it was on my it was on my list of things I do. Um, but the the standouts are the ones that can put, you know, dollars and percentages and, you know, measurable impact. So, you know, took... Uh, revenue from you know uh, half a million to five million wonderful that's tangible when you have in two years amazing and you know have it be you know relevant to the metrics of your specific discipline so you know your stuff and you're speaking the language of a true marketer or you know modern marketer modern people pro whatever the case may be so you know refresh the language for sure as a lot of new lingo has come in uh and vogue in the you know uh distributed workforce era. Uh, so certain, you know, even old jobs should be modernized, how you talk about work. Um, you want to be using people and talent instead of say HR, HR, HR. 
just to show that you're kind of a, a current thinker. Mm -hmm. uh, it will change your title, of, of, uh, but because uh, that's what will be on the old employer's records and things. But uh, just the bullet points and the way you talk about your profession, and it's worth having a look at your jobs from the decades past once in a while as you update your resume and say, actually, yeah, there's a different way about a different way of talking about that now. Um, so yeah, but show in, showing impact, I think, is key. Dollars, percentages, something measurable took it from X to Y. Awesome. And do you look for, or do you think that there's any traits uh, or functions that are a little bit more important than others and transferable to, you know, moving forward with a job? Are there any like key points that you kind of always look for or always see if they're included? That are most important to the people that you're hiring for? It's interesting. Um, some of my clients um, are looking for, you know, the, the, the person who's an expert at everything, the sort of classic, oh yeah, they should be an amazing recruiter and an amazing, um, you know, L&D person and, you know, really good at short-term relationships, which is kind of like the sale of recruiting, and then also nurturing long-term relationships, which is like career planning and all the rest. So um, sometimes I have to kind of get real and say, hey, you know, do you want a hunter or a farmer or a recruiter? Mm -hmm. They get their dopamine hits from, you know, the clothes and uh, whereas a farmer might be like more long-term HR business partner who really wants to get in under the hood and understand how your department works and uh, help you with talent planning and kind of more all this long-term stuff. You know, that's, I guess my, my, my clients, when I first speak with them, I want everything, uh, but there are a few things uh, to your kind of points that might be uh, useful to know. In smaller organizations, you often want a kind of a Jack or Jacqueline of all trades. So if I'm placing that head of people at a company that just got their series B, chances are they're pretty small and they, they won't have an L&D person and a comp and benefits person and all the rest. So the person, you know, um, should be uh, potentially even the hunter and a farmer in one person. That is mm -hmm. hard to if the company is small enough, that will be what they demand and, the, and I'll find it for them. So, but I guess the, the broader point there for other folks listening to our chat would be, uh, you know, flexibility and just kind of general business acumen. And so speaking the language of kind of, you know, P&L um, shouldn't be restricted to um, executive functions or whatever. Mm -hmm. so if you're just kind of talking a little bit like a management consultant, um, no matter what function you're representing, that'll probably help you um, be seen as just a kind of a flexible business person, a corporate athlete who might have a title of, you know, people ops manager, but they are kind of confident that you'll be savvy enough to work outside of your defined scope when needed. One thing which, you know, it's hard to just suddenly add to your resume. If you don't already have it, you might need to, a couple of years to invest. But a lot of my clients who are these startup founders really respect actual management consulting experience. Mm. Um, so, you know, having put in a couple of years at, um, you know, some some respected firm, Meet McKinsey would be amazing, but that's the, the kind of upper echelons, you know, uh, Deloitte, Accenture, all good, or, or even smaller shops. Um, because you learn kind of business uh, skills that are cross-functional and relevant to every business person. And um, so that kind of 
if you, if you haven't been a consultant, um, you can still speak like one. Uh, so, you know, frame some of the bullet points with your resume as uh, reflecting your ability to work well cross-functionally. Maybe you're, you led a cross-functional team. If you did, please put that on there. And because, you know, in leader times, people are going to be just expected to operate outside of their strict job description. So the more that you can show that you're a corporate athlete who isn't just a one-trick pony, right. the better. Yeah, definitely. And it's very interesting too, um, you know, having those types of functions and understanding the type of traits that are needed and are necessary, you know, do you feel that kind of shifting a little bit? Like, I know that you are placing more at the executive level. So these people are a little bit more tenured. They're a little bit older typically um, and have been around the block a little bit. Right. But, you know, is there still this idea of job loyalty and are there still, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, I feel that the generations have shifted and have changed and work acumen has changed, right? So I feel like job loyalty is almost a thing of the past, right? Um, I remember even leaving Media Math, I was there for a little over two years and I was very nervous. That was too short of a stint on my resume, you know? And I, I did love working there and I've learned so much and made so many contacts, but, you know, the the company was shifting and I, I wanted to do something different and learn something new. And so, you know, I I made that decision to kind of go out there and and do that. But I feel like, when I'm hiring people or when I'm looking for people as well, it's like a different mindset of how work is portrayed. And I feel like being devoted to a company for two, three, four, five, ten 10 years, you know, isn't really there anymore. Are you, are you finding that, you know, as some of the younger generations are moving into these leadership roles, that the persona and business acumen are shifting and are different? Yeah, um, there's definitely less uh, loyalty, you know, in the circles I, I move in um, than there would have been, you know, even 10 years ago um, when I was, uh, I was a bit of a job hopper, you know, so the two years that you talked about as one company would have not have been atypical of my resume when I was in-house. So I, I was always a bit maybe less judgmental uh, than most of, of not being super tenured uh, because, you know, um, I had, maybe I'd been at one company for like six years. Uh, I was back in my W2 days and then the media math was four. Everything else was shorter. Um, so, you know, I wasn't uh, so judgmental, but sometimes it's uh, a function of the manager and kind of what generation they came from um, as the hiring manager uh, as to, you know, what tolerance level they will have of job hopping on a resume. And I think it's also a function of um, impact of the role and how quickly one can be effective. Um, and then the final criterion, I'd say, before I give an example to illustrate it all, would be um, industry and kind of company size. So the, the, the role and the hiring manager and their kind of generation and viewpoint, and then the, you know, the industry and the company size. So I'll start with the industry and company size. I think startups are very forgiving uh, of short tenure um, in general. So, you know, they understand that companies can go, you know, they can flatline, they can go, you know, 
completely belly up um, pretty pretty often. So if you got one year here, two years there, another year, um, and the narrative that goes with it makes sense. Maybe there's a happy narrative. Maybe the company was acquired after a year and then mm-hmm. your role is eliminated. So I think the narrative matters as well. But I think in general, bigger companies will be less forgiving. More established companies will be less forgiving of, of job hopping because they kind of want um, some stability. And that brings me to the role. You know, if if a role can be fulfilled by a contractor, and I know you do some kind of fractional contractory things, if it's like relatively turnkey, then, you know, maybe it's okay for a person to be a bit job hoppy. Um, illustratively, recruiters, contract recruiters, you can come in and, you know, start filling roles. And if you've got a good network and a good skill set, um, as a contract recruiter within a few weeks, um, and all of a sudden jobs are, you know, coming off uh, the to-do list and there's great people coming in the door. If that person was to leave after six months, they'd have made a bunch of great hires and, you know, no harm, no foul. So if you're looking for a full-time recruiter, you might not be super concerned if they're a bit job hoppy, because you know from working with contractors that, you know, if they're here and they're effective for six to 12 months, they'll have left a positive legacy, you right. know, so who cares? Whereas if it's a job that takes a long time to ramp, you got to get to know the organization, develop relationships internally, or maybe even more importantly, precious client relationships. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, this, this needs to be the right person. I want them to stay. I don't want to be retraining somebody after, because they'll, they'll be like a sunk cost. They'll be costing me money for the first six months as they ramp and they're getting paid a salary and I'm giving them the, the keys to these amazing relationships and um, so in that instance, you might want somebody who's, you know, shown that they stay everywhere they've been for, you know, three, four years because you're right. ROI. So that's the role specific part. And then, yeah, the other hiring manager specific, I'm working with a client right now who, you know, just um, wanted to see those three or four years. They're uh, a little bit, you know, older than me and just believed in commitments. It wasn't so much a function of the role or the company size. It was just that I don't want to be hiring for this again um, as a practical matter, you mm. know, in, in less than three years. Um, I want to just find somebody great um, who's shown that they hang around places. And um, that's all I care about. Or, you know, it's not all they cared about, but it was key. Right. So much so that if I put, you know, a couple of uh, resumes of amazing job hoppers, like I, like, like Peter clones, like, nope, I don't want that Peter clone too job hoppy. Um, and I respect that because they're the client. Right. Do you feel like there are certain roles that have a certain lifespan and will just automatically have natural turnover because you kind of run your course there and then it's time for you to move on? I guess I'm a little bit, um, I'm sure that's true. I think that is very true in lots of functions. I'm probably most expert or able to speak with some level of um, knowledge uh, with the, you know, the startup uh, HR leadership roles. And, um, you know, there's definitely a, a pattern where your first head of people probably isn't, you know, your your the person who gets you to 100 headcount is probably not the same person who's going to get you to 500 or 1,000 and because it is it is a very different job. Um, so I think that um, the, the same is probably true for, you know, the, your first head of marketing or your first uh, head of anything. Um, they, if they're really expert and competent at getting you, you know, the, the foundations in place, 
um, for a high performing function of small company. And it should just be a lot to expect for that person to also be an expert on global matrix, mm. you know, management, because it's so different. Um, some people are amazing learners and they will, you know, take their relationships and their uh, curiosity and their growth mindset and surprise you and kind of take a company from 50 to a thousand or whatever um, in a function, uh, but it's rare. So in that sense, those functions, if a company is still growing and changing that much, and um, then there will be a natural lifespan when that person maybe gets layered and then they get more of a specific niche role or they have to move on to something new if they don't like getting layered. Yeah, for sure. And do you look at what, what do you use to determine if if the person is a good fit for the role? I feel like, especially in today's job market, you know, you were saying kind of expand your horizons, but I do feel like some people get desperate. Um, or some people take a job for all the wrong reasons. And, you know, what are some tips or what do you do to kind of determine that this is a good fit so that, A, the companies that you're placing these people with are happy and and the people are are happy being there and, and it works for both parties and is functional for a period of time instead of somebody just staying there until they find something better or, you know, I need a paycheck, so let me take what I can get. Yeah, I, I think... Any port in a storm is certainly um, a, a real thing in a market like this one, um, whereas, you know, a candidate could put themselves in all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, psychological knots convincing themselves, oh, yeah, this is totally the job I want. Yeah. Uh, you know, are you sure? Um, because it seems like such an unnatural fit or such a strange pivot. And um, so I think that I'm, I'm definitely as an executive search partner, I'm a little bit wary of that. Um, you know, most of my work involves reaching out to people as opposed to them applying. I don't post many jobs. Um, I'll get an assignment from, you know, X company and um, saying they want a chief people officer. And then I'll go out into the marketplace and, you know, try and find people. So I'm a little bit of a maybe not useful um use case in in this scenario you're talking about because I I, I tend to have long-term relationships so I'll, I'll be pitching a job to somebody some new new uh no, new rec I've got in to somebody who I've known for years and I'll be pitching it to them for a reason because I think right because you know that they'll be a good it, fit it, yeah that mm -hmm. it is they'll be interested in that it will be a logical next step based on the hopes and dreams they shared with me before so um, you know, if I were posting every job that I had right now, I would probably get inundated with candidates, uh, some of whom would be kind of looking for the antiport in the storm, and then I'd get overwhelmed. And, and so that's probably why I do mostly outreach versus inbounds. But yeah, I think for more broadly, like outside of the executive search or, or kind of my use case, I think that your point is a good one about broadening your horizons, and th there are limits to that. Um, you shouldn't reinvent yourself just to get a paycheck where you're going to be totally miserable and maybe unsuccessful because you sold them a bill of goods um, that you're not you know, as experienced or as ready for the role as, as they might need somebody to be. So I'd say when I mentioned the broadened horizons thing, I'd say also, but with 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 plenty of uh, grains of salt uh, at your side. So you find this company that's a little bit adjacent to what you normally would be. Like, okay, are they good adjacent or bad adjacent? Are they more progressive? Will I learn mm. more? Oh, cool, that could be interesting. I never thought about going into that, 
you know, AI version of my current job, whatever before, but that could be cool. Uh, let me check out their glass door. Okay, looks good. People seem to be very happy. Is that a fluke? I'll have a look at them comparably as well, or the Indeed ratings. Okay, they're all good. Interesting, interesting. And then maybe you know somebody who's there, they aren't in the, you know, they're junior or whatever, they aren't in a position to necessarily refer you in or they aren't comfortable, um, but they will take a phone call um, with you and you can find out, okay, is it really a good place to work or do they just, you know, are they good at convincing people to write good reviews? So yeah, definitely still do your homework, even as you broaden your horizons, because yeah, it's, it's tough to, uh, for all concerned, if you, you know, oversell yourself and then you're hating every day you're there and just looking for your next job on the side and then you know nobody's going to have any fun with that yeah um very interesting for sure and you know what is your take on this mass movement of people becoming entrepreneurs starting their own business having fractional hr people or cro's or cmo's and things of that sort do you feel that this is sustainable um, and something that is going to continue to be a trend? Or do you see it as a product of the current market that we're in? Or, you know, maybe a outcome from the pandemic and, and being remote? You know, I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, um, I, I think it is a trend that will continue. Um, you know, being remote was kind of only possible because uh, technology like Zoom and, you know, VPNs and whatever had reached the stage where it was, you know, not as big of a deal to attempt to do your job from home or from somewhere else in the country. And so I think that, um, you know, certainly accelerated the opening of minds when everyone was everyone was forced to stay home for a while and the wheels didn't come off businesses for the most part, that um, this, you know, distributed work thing could work out. And that meant that, um, you know, fractional was also a bit more viable than had been the case in the past. You know, the, the trouble with full-time roles is that, especially the chief people officer or whatever, when there's so many components to it, although I'm sure any functional leader would say, oh, there's 30 parts of my job too, is, you know, chances are you're not world-class in all 30 sub-disciplines. Like I never felt I was world-class in all of them. I was, you know, maybe doing really good flow work where I felt like I was a thought leader-ish in 10 to 15% tops. And then there was the, you know, 50% of your job where you feel pretty good, you're enjoying it. Um, and then there's the third where you don't particularly enjoy it, where it does not play to your strengths, you're not feeling any flow, you're maybe, you know, overly reliant on people on your team who are better at it than you are, and you feel bad because you can't be a good, you know, mentor or source of learning for them because they're actually better at it than you are, and it's weird. So um, the fractional thing is a way for people to do their best work um, and not maybe have any of that, like one third of my job where I didn't feel I was great at it um, at all. And so you're, you know, it's a, you don't have to pay somebody a salary for the third of the job that they're bad at. Uh, you can just uh, use a fractional and, you know, have two people maybe. Uh, so you got two really good people um, who aren't wasting, wasting salary on the, on the stuff they're bad at. So um, and people do want flexibility. It's more, I guess, satisfying to be doing things you're good at as well. And um, I get to see more of my wife and kids. There's so many kind of upsides to the fractional lifestyle that I don't think. And once you get a taste for it, like I've, 
you know, I'm not exactly classic fractional, but I've done some fractional work. And once you get a taste for it, it's hard to go back. It's been seven years for me now. And, you know, I don't plan on ever having another W-2, I hope. Uh, no offense, uh, traditional employment. But but yeah, I think with the the also the kind of frugality of the 2023 economy, I think that'll spur uh, more organizations to open their minds and, you know, try fractional and be pleasantly surprised with the results that they get uh, versus, okay, we have this need, let's dust off the old job description and get another W-2er in here. Um, if you can get somebody who's, you know, maybe somebody on Stephanie's team who's more experienced and, you know, 10% of them would actually, you know, have a greater impact potentially than a, a newbie out of college. You'd just be learning and learning and learning and not really giving much output. You know, I think that math uh, for a frugal CEO sitting with a frugal CFO could make a lot of sense. Um, mm -hmm. Once, once you know, like I got a taste for it. Um, once the companies get a taste for the other end of it, it might be hard to go back to the old way. Very interesting. And, um, you know, I definitely agree. I, I, I hope I never have the need to go back to work for somebody else again. And I really enjoyed what I've built and you know the lows are low but the winds are so much sweeter when it's for you yes um yes. and it's hard to go back yeah yeah yeah, yeah seriously many feasts and so far tolerable famines yes knock on wood right yes. um this has been great thank you so much I really appreciate it I always like to end the segment with two fun questions sure um sure. one is what was your first job my first job um, in America, I'll give you that one, was uh, working as a chicken dropper, uh, also known as a, you know, a fried chicken man in a place called Happy's in Slidell, Louisiana, when I was 19. I was over on a J-1 visa, so I was uh, dropping chicken um, into the fryers by day and then working as a steakhouse waiter uh, by night. Wow. Uh, so yeah, busy summer. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've now got ridiculously high standards for, for fried chicken. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> and what, um, if you had, a, if you could do any other career, money, no object, whatever it is that you want, big dreams, what would it be? So I guess I dabble in the stand-up comedy, as mentioned earlier, for a reason. I do enjoy that stuff. You know, I think uh, there would be, if I was, you know, lucky enough to be successful, um, there would be downsides to it, you know, always being on the road, et cetera. Um, but um, yeah, uh, it, in the small doses, I've I've had success in that domain. It has been a lot of fun to have a engaged, laughing crowd, you know, feels really good. Um, so yeah, I'd probably be, you know, full-time, uh, uh, humorist of some kind. Nice. That's, that's really great. I did not know that you were a comedian at all. So, well, um, I make a point of not being funny at work. So that I'm glad it's working. Ah. Uh, <laughs> that was an attempted joke, but anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, um, uh, it's, it's it's actually uh, the the humor writing thing is how I met my wife. I um, I wasn't doing stand up at that stage. I was writing kind of uh, humorous short stories, and took a class in uh, that kind of thing. And this uh, other student next to me uh, offered me uh, a lozenge. Uh, it was it was cold season, and the rest is history. 
That's so amazing. I love that. <laughs> oh, we'll see. You never know. Always take that chance, right? Um, yes. yes. So, That's what you, uh, on the grand scale for your life partner. Yes, definitely. Um, so, you know, lastly, where can our listeners find you if they're, you know, have a job that they want you to help fill or are maybe looking for an executive HR position? Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, so um, LinkedIn, as mentioned earlier, is where I spend uh, probably way too much time. Um, and I'm there, uh, Peter Phelan, P-H-E-L-A-N. And um, if you look up Culture Doctor, you'll also get me. Um, so that's a great place. And then my website is valuesculture.com. And I uh, would love to hear from uh, folks uh, on either platform. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was really great. Um, I appreciate the time and hope you have a great weekend. Same to you. Thanks so much for having me, Stephanie. This is fun. Mm-hmm.